You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. People of God, good morning. It's good to be with you all, and uh, I'll just add my voice, actually just a thank you. A thank you to both um, Robin Pope and Lori Austin. They coordinate our discipleship groups on the women's side, and uh, the pastors are on the men's side to help facilitate these groups where we pray that just good growth and transformation has been experienced in the lives of our people, and both... um, uh, both of our ladies who help with that just just give a lot and, and love you a lot. And so I'll just add my, my voice to their invitation. Join a discipleship group. We would love to see you in uh, one of those. Uh, also hope you guys are getting excited for our Fall Fest. We've never done anything like this before, so we're hoping that it's great. Uh, hope you all sign up to bring something. And if you're on social media, uh, share our stuff. Share the, share the invite. Maybe, maybe people will come. We're doing our best to promote this so we can have a really great time, kind of a pre- uh, kind of tailgating event before the festivities of uh, Halloween or Reformation Day, whichever you celebrate on the 31st, that's what we'll be doing. Let's pray together uh, for this passage and invite God to, to speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you into now the exposition and the application of your word. We pray, God, that as we understand what was taking place with this festivals, with this festival, that it will give us a framework for our own lives as followers of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help your people in this room to fix their eyes, not on this world, as Paul calls us to set our mind on things that are above, not on earthly things. I pray that we would fix our eyes on that day when we cross from this life into the next one. How little thought, oh God, we give towards that reality. I pray that you would provoke us to think about that day and the ages that will follow as we dwell with you for all eternity. And for those in this gathering that are not walking with you, that have not received Christ as savior, I pray for them as well that they too might consider that day where they will cross from this life into your throne room, into the judgment seat, and where they will have to give an accounting for their lives in your world. Lord, would you open our eyes to that day, wherever we stand with you, and would we respond uh, to Jesus in a fitting manner? Would you draw people to put their faith, to run to you for refuge, God? As we contemplate this feast and the, the, the shelters that were created, Lord, would we all this morning be provoked to run to you alone as our refuge, our hiding place, our shelter. That's what you promised to be for us, Lord. And in the end of Psalm 2, you say, blessed is everyone who takes refuge in the Son of God. Lord, we come and take refuge in Jesus this morning. And it's in his name that we ask that you would speak to your people Amen. Amen. So let's just get caught up a little bit with the book of Nehemiah, if you've not been following along closely. The the people in Israel have been doing this rebuilding project, putting the wall back together. And recently we read that they completed that project. The wall is done. And so now that the wall is done, the people of Israel are able to focus on the things that really matter. 
at the beginning of chapter eight, there is this basically church service where the leaders would stand and open up the law and preach it and proclaim it to the people who were uh, in attendance. And uh, what we see happening after that, that Joe uh, preached on last week are the people celebrating with one another, eating with one another, sharing wine with one another, having this this celebration. Uh, And then along the way, as they're studying the law, they're being introduced to things that God has spoken, some of the, the customs, even actually some of the holidays that had been forgotten about for many years that the people were supposed to celebrate. And this morning, what they come across in their studying of the law is this thing called the Feast of Booths. Now, in modern language, I don't think that booth quite captures what's going on here. When I personally hear booth, I think of like my children's lemonade stand in the neighborhood. uh, Or I think of, uh, if you remember when we used to go to shopping malls, uh, the booths in the middle where they would chase you down with skincare products and things like that. That's that's what I have in my mind when I think of a booth, but that's not actually what's happening here. What what they're actually building are, are tents, okay? Temporary dwelling places. They are building tents. And this is what God requires his people to do once a year for seven days. Every year, the people of Israel were required together to go on a camping trip. That, that's literally what they were required to do. Now, let's get to know each other just a little bit in this room. I know there's new people and some of us don't know each other super well. You can tell a lot about a person by what they think about camping. If we were to come, the elders were to say, New City, like we've been in prayer God is leading us together to take a a seven-day camping trip as a church. How many of you would be excited about that prospect? So some of you would enjoy that. How many of you would head to the doors and say, I'm done with this church. I'll never set foot in here again. No, thank you. I'm not into camping. Really, uh, the, the question of whether or not you would enjoy camping would determine which one of the pastors of New City was leading that experience, okay? So as you know, Joe talks a lot about his camper. So in his retirement years, he's bought an RV. And really what we're talking about is glamping, glamorous camping when when Joe is talking about camping. So he'll go to a place with, for example, restrooms, showers, those sorts of things. Uh, You know, it's a safe environment, you know, like clearly marked camping things and all of that. I promise you his RV will be filled with sugary treats of different sorts. Uh, The destination would probably be just relaxing and enjoyable. Now, on the other hand, if Brian were to, can I tell you how Brian does camping? I kid you not. Brian will get in his car by himself at the, in the dead of winter, okay, in like January, and not drive to some like clearly marked campsite. He goes to some national forest and drives like as far as he can into that thing where he's completely secluded, where all of the bears and the mountain lions live. And he'll bring his dog Loki, which I don't think would be much help in protecting him should anything happen in that, in that situation. He'll bring his dog with him and he will, lit- that's like real camping in the wilderness by himself in the middle of winter. That's like life-giving to, to, to him. That's the kind of camping he enjoys. Now, when I I want to go on a camping trip, what I do is I pull out my phone and I get on Priceline and I find a hotel that's offered at a cheap deal that night with lots of good restaurants around. Uh, For nature, we go to places my kids really love, uh, the turf grass, the fake grass uh, right outside of the hotel that they can play in. Uh, That's the kind of environment that that I would enjoy in a camping trip. Uh, So I guess it depends who's organizing it. Back to the passage though, let's ask this question. Why are we giving special attention to this festival that was celebrated a really long time ago 
that we as, as followers of Jesus are not even, even called to, to celebrate. Why are we giving this particular passage special attention? Here's why we're giving this passage this morning special attention. What I wanna suggest to you is that camping is perhaps the best metaphor for you to understand your Christian life. Camping, not glamping, camping in the wilderness, far away from home, is perhaps the best metaphor for you to understand where you find yourself as a follower of Jesus. And this morning, I wanna spend some time considering that. Some of the things we would learn in the wilderness camping are incredibly important lessons as we are learning to walk with and relate to God. So here's how I wanna just examine this passage this morning. I wanna just first, first consider sort of the historical context. How did this ceremony, this festival come about? And then I wanna look at some specific lessons that we can take as followers of Jesus from the camping in the wilderness experience. Okay, so let's just begin by considering the Feast of Booths, what's happening here, how did it get instituted? What God is doing in this moment with the Feast of Booths is bringing people who were not around uh, during the time of the Exodus back into that experience on an annual basis. So let's remember the Exodus for just a moment. The people of Israel moved to Egypt under Joseph's leadership, but uh, there's a change of hand in leaders over the years and the new Pharaoh is oppressing God's people. They are slaves. Uh, they have no autonomy or, or uh, ability to, to uh, live as God would have them. They are slaves in the land of Egypt. God hears their cry and he sends uh, under Moses' and Aaron's leadership uh, the ability for the people to be set free from their slavery. So uh, through these plagues and through the Passover, God's people leave out from under Egypt. Uh, they then cross through the Red Sea. We're gonna give that some attention in just a second. And then they enter into the wilderness. Now the time in the wilderness for the people of Israel was, was to be a time of learning. Uh, perhaps a time of unlearning some things that they had picked up in Egypt and a time for learning what they were to be and how they were to live as God's people. The wilderness, the desert was a place of growth, of sanctification, of growing in holiness as they prepared to enter what? Their permanent residence, the, the promised land, the place that God had promised where they would dwell, this land plentiful. Uh, that, that's where they were headed, but, but in the wilderness uh, is, is where they were to spend, it should have just been a few weeks, but they were slow learners. And so we learned that they spent 40 long years in the wilderness uh, learning and becoming the people that God had intended them to be before they were able to enter into the promised land. That's what's happening here. Now, why was it? I want to ask two questions about this. Why is it that God uh, required his people to kind of re-experience that on an annual basis? That's what's happening with the Feast of Booths. He's saying, I want you to remember what it was like for your ancestors in the wilderness. So for once a year, for seven days, you guys are going to have a similar experience. Why did he have them go through that? Well, I almost think about it in terms of some of your vocations, okay? Some of you have very skill-based vocations where you spent a lot of time, maybe Maybe in the medical field or something like that. Uh, a lot of time in education, a lot of time learning the lessons. And you never have to go back and go through that long schooling or education again. 
But every year it's helpful to have like almost a recertification. Like don't go through the whole experience again, but remember some of the lessons that you had during that time uh, because those lessons are very valuable. That's what the people are doing on an annual basis. Hey, go back through and just remember some of the things that you learned during your time in the wilderness. Don't let those things uh, bypass you. Go back and pick up some of those things again. So that's what they would do every year. The people would, everybody, go on this camping trip where they were re-experiencing what their ancestors did back in the wilderness. That's why God required them to do so. And we see them doing it in this passage again for the first time in a long time. Here's the more relevant question for us though, okay? If they were required to celebrate this festival, why don't we go on annual camping trips as followers of Jesus? Maybe some of you really wanna know, that would be great, you'd enjoy that. Others of you are thankful that we don't, but we don't celebrate the Feast of Booths. Why is that? One of the reasons has to do with the fact that the ceremonial law in the Old Testament has been fulfilled by Jesus. So we don't have to do the same things that the people of Israel did. But I think there's a more important reason that I would bring to your attention this morning. Why do we not go out into the wilderness and celebrate the Feast of Booths? Why do we not look back on the people of God's experience in the wilderness? Because, brothers and sisters, we don't look back on Israel's wandering in the wilderness because we are in a wilderness wandering of our own. We are having our own experience as followers of Jesus, wandering through the wilderness, waiting until we come to the land that has been promised to us. Where do you place yourself in comparison to Israel and their story? Because we have a very similar one. Uh, On the one hand, Israel began, as we talked about this morning, in Egypt, under slavery, unable to do anything about it. But they were set free through the blood of the lamb and the Passover. They were brought out of that. What we recognize as followers of Jesus, we've been set free from slavery to sin and Satan by the blood of Jesus. We are set free. And we have been promised an eternal dwelling place, a permanent home, a place in which everything that we desire as human beings exists, where we flourish, where we walk unhindered with God. But we're not yet there, are we? And think about the experience at the Red Sea. This is just a relevant, just side point about your baptism. When the people came up to the Red Sea, they they began talking about how this was, you you brought us here, God, because there were no graves in Egypt. In other words, they were looking at that Red Sea and thinking about it in terms of a grave. Uh, But God caused them to walk through that grave unharmed while their enemies uh, were, were to come under it. Do you know what our watery grave is that we've walked into as followers of Jesus? Baptism. Baptism is your grave of water that you have been brought through and set free from slavery to sin. But notice that God doesn't just, I wish he did, but he doesn't take us from baptism and just like beam us up right into heaven, does he? No, we are in a wandering through the wilderness of our own. That is the season that we are in as followers of Jesus. And that's why we have a lot to learn from what Israel experienced in their own wilderness wandering. So, That's the ceremony. That's what's happening here. Let's then shift our attention. What are some of the lessons that the people learned in their experience wandering through the wilderness? I got four things that I wanna focus on from this passage uh, that I think are important for us to grasp that the people of Israel and we similarly have to learn from our time 
in the wilderness. In the, in the, in the wilderness. Number one, what do we learn during our time camping, if you will? Number one, we learn to follow God's leadership. Think back to the people of Israel. They come through the Red Sea, they're in the wilderness. Now, there are different types of camping and those different types of camping will determine kind of how much you need a guide through that. So if you just go to like an RV park, you'll be fine on your own, I'm sure. You'll find your camping space, that kind of thing. If you go camping somewhere like the Serengeti or some uh, very dangerous mountain range, you would better hope there's a guide there that's able to walk you through the dangers of that experience uh, as you are in this time in the wilderness. Well, when the people of Israel left Egypt, they were not in like friendly territory. They're in the desert. And they need a guide to show them the way. And so we read about in the story of Exodus, the pillar of cloud by day, or the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that led the people directionally. But God's people didn't just have to learn how to follow God in their specific location. They had to learn to follow God from his word. God gave him them his word through Moses down the mountain. And during their time in the wilderness, they had to come under that, that word and learn to follow God's leadership by what he had spoken. And that's what we see happening in this passage. First of all, back at the beginning of the passage, the reason they celebrate this festival in the very first place is because they were studying God's word. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. That's how this whole thing begins. The people saying, we want to know what God has to say. And they go to Ezra, the scribe, to learn about it. And then the same thing is happening here down at the end. As they are going through this experience in their, on their camping trip, in verse 18 it says, and day by day, Capture that phrase, it's important. Day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law. The people knew as they wandered through the wilderness, we need day by day encounters with God's word in our life. We cannot make it through this thing on our own. We are not wise enough. We are not smart enough to figure this out on our own. We need God's instruction to lead and guide us. So it is with us in our journey towards the promised land. We cannot make this thing on our own. We desperately need God's word. Let me tell you what the fool sounds like in the wilderness. Do you know what the fool sounds like who's wandering through the wilderness waiting to get home? The fool uses this phrase, live and learn. Live and learn. Just go through life you know, figure it out, have your highs, have your lows, have your experiences, live and learn. And then as you experience things, you begin to learn. Let me tell you what the wise person in the wilderness says. Learn and then live. In other words, I don't have to go through the experiences of, uh, of calamity and my life falling apart by not heeding God's word. Focus in on God's word and then live. That's one of the reasons we really want to prioritize as a church these small discipleship groups that we're uh, advertising and inviting everyone to participate in both here on Sunday morning, but then at other points throughout your life, gather with other people just like they were in this story day by day. And if we don't have enough time for that, at least a couple times a month, get together focusing on God's word that he can lead and guide you through this life as we wait for a permanent home. They saw their need for God to lead them. They saw their need for God to lead them. So the first question that I have for you is, do you, number one, see your day-by-day -day need 
for God's word to direct your life? Will you live as the wise one or the foolish one? The wise one who says, I don't have all the answers. I need God's word to guide me. Do you see your day-by-day need for God's word in your life? And then secondly, perhaps more importantly, do you care what God's word has to say to you? That's just a small burden I wanna speak to you about this morning. Like it's one thing to engage with God's word, to come here on Sundays and to listen to what it has to say, but does it carry weight or authority over your life? Uh, An interesting thing about this story is just the, the simple fact that after generations of not celebrating this feast, the people said, hey, We're supposed to go camping for seven days. Some of the people probably thought to themselves, I'm not sure I understand why or if I even want to do that, but the whole community did it. In other words, they they recognized the authority of God's word and they responded to it. Similarly, even if you don't understand why God has said something about your life, are you at a place where you say, it doesn't matter. He's an authority over me, so I'm going to submit and listen to his word. Do you see your need for God's word as you wander through the wilderness and do you submit to its authority? That's something we have to learn in the wilderness as we wait for our permanent home. Hey, the second thing we learn in the wilderness, the second thing we learn is to trust God to meet our daily, our daily needs. Consider again the people of Israel. All of their means for living, all of their necessities, they're not out in the desert. They were back in Egypt. All of their food, their water sources, their shelter, everything that they needed to survive was available for them back in Egypt. As they go out into that desert and with each subsequent step they take further into it, all of their needs are are now no longer readily available. So what were they to do? Were they to anxiously, uh, you know, pace back and forth, wondering about how they would make it? Were they to complain and whine about their circumstances? That's what they did. What they were supposed to do in that moment is say, hey God, you were faithful enough to bring us out of the land of slavery in Egypt. You'll be faithful enough to meet my needs here as well. And so that's what God did. God provided for them for water miraculously from the rock. The the water flowed for the people to be able to have uh, water to drink. As it came to their needs of uh, of food, God provided manna and and, uh, quail for them to eat as they journeyed through the wilderness. As it pertained to their shelters, yes, they uh, built shelters, but I love how Moses puts it in Psalm 90. Lord, from generation to generation, you have been our dwelling place. You are my shelter. You are my strong tower. You are the place I look for safety when everything around me isn't going well, when everything around me is dangerous. You are my dwelling place. They had to learn, though, to trust God to meet their daily needs. You know what the people would do sometimes when God would provide food for them to eat? God said, take enough for today. There will be more for you tomorrow. But they would think to themselves, I don't know if I can trust you for tomorrow. So they would take extra for themselves, but the extra that they took would end up just rotting away. They had to learn in the wilderness for God, to to trust in God's faithfulness to meet their daily needs. And as New Testament people wandering through the wilderness, Jesus teaches us to do the same thing. How does he teach us to pray? Our Father 
who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is to heaven. Give us today the plan for the next five years so I know just where we're headed and what's gonna happen. Give us today just a little bit more control, just a little bit of an ability to kind of dictate and control how our life is gonna go. Give us today an assurance that everything is gonna turn out the way that I want it to. No, how do we pray? Give us today our daily bread. In other words, God, God, I trust you with tomorrow and I receive from you today what I need to make it. That's what we learn in the wilderness, to receive from God today and to trust him with tomorrow. You don't have to live in tomorrow. You don't have to live in six months from now. I don't know what the circumstances are surrounding in your life, but as you journey on this wilderness journey, God has tomorrow, trust him with today. Receive from him today. Give us this day our daily bread. I love how great is thy faithfulness puts it. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. So everything that I need today, God will give me today. The strength, the resources, the shelter, everything that I need for today, God will give me. And then I can hope in him for tomorrow. That's what we learn to do in the wilderness. We learn to trust him day by day. So what do we learn? Number one, to follow God's leadership through his word. Number two, to trust him that he will in fact meet our needs. And then number three, and this is probably the most important one that we will hit on today. What do we learn from our camping wilderness experience as followers of Jesus? We learned this. Brothers and sisters, you are not home yet. You are not home yet. This world is not your home. Consider the temporariness of these shelters that they built. These are not, you know, two by fours and bricks and tiles. That's not what they're building for this this little camping trip for. Listen to some of the materials that they use. In verse 15, it says, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. That's gonna last them about a week and that's it. They are building temporary shelters. So let me just say this because we need to probably hear this at least on a weekly basis. Brothers and sisters, this world, the United States of America, the Commonwealth of Virginia, the house you sleep in, the body that you've arrived into this gathering this morning with, it's not your home. It's not your home. It's a temporary dwelling place. It is a mere camping trip in light of eternity. And I want you all to see how Paul picks up on this in the book of 2 Corinthians. Would you turn over with me because we're gonna finish this thing in 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter five. Paul picks up on this theme for us to again learn from camping as a metaphor or a framework to understand our life on this earth. 2 Corinthians chapter five. For we know, verse one, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in 
the heavens. So let's look at some contrasts here between where we are now and what God is doing for us. Number one, right now we live in a tent and that's contrasted with a building. So as permanent as your house or as young and vibrant as your body feels or doesn't feel, uh, it's temporary. It's all temporary, but there is coming, Paul says, a building that we have from God a permanent structure that we're waiting for that is being given to us by God. And then look at this other contrast. There is that which is our earthly home, which is destroyed. In other words, it's not permanent, it's temporary. Our earthly home is destroyed, but it says at the end of verse one, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's where we're headed. Right now, we're just camping in the wilderness. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is this, what should we do recognizing that this is not our home and we are merely on a temporary camping trip in this life? Should we put the majority of our attention to finding the best possible camping site with the best circumstances and the best possible tent that's as homey as possible and as comfortable as possible. Is that what we're called to do in this life? No, let's read what we're called to do in the next verse, in verse two. First, describing our tent, our temporary home, verse two says this, for in this tent we groan and we long to put on our heavenly dwelling. The whole point of your camping trip can I tell you what it is? Is to make you long for home. To make you long for home. Let me share a couple of my camping experiences with you just briefly. I've been on in my life, in my experience of camping, some lame camping trips. Like when I was a teenager, I was a Boy Scout. So uh, at times we would just go somewhere local, like Haymarket to a little field because we needed to learn how to build a fire or how to put the tent poles through the, through the, the tent so that we could perhaps go and have greater experiences of, of camping. Like as lame, as boring, not very exciting. I've also been on some incredible camping trips. Uh, I was a part of an internship where one we went to was in Big Bend, Texas. So that's right on the Rio Grande River, right up against uh, uh, Mexico, beautiful mountain range. There are sunrises and sunsets that I saw on that camping trip that will take your breath away. Absolutely beautiful. It was an incredible experience. I also was able to go to Estes Park, Colorado, right there in the middle of the Rockies. Camp, climb up on 14,000 foot mountains and look out on mountain ranges that absolutely make you lose yourself with their size and their grandeur. Incredible experiences. But can I tell you something? about even these incredible experiences of camping. After a couple days of it, do you know what I found myself saying? I just want to go home. Many of the struggles and the difficulties that you face in your life have intentionally been put there by a good God for you to be able to say, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. This is not my resting place. This is not my eternal dwelling place. I am merely here passing through. So let me just apply this then to a couple places. I want us to apply this longing to go home to our lives individually. And I want us to apply it to our lives corporately as a church. Recognizing that this is not our permanent home will help us, I think, just have a framework to deal with the struggles that we have in our life. Listen to me, I know there are people in this gathering and your body is failing. This tent of yours is not what it once was. 
There are others of you that it's not so much your body, but the circumstances of your life feel impossible. They feel impossible. There are others of you that have been facing a sin struggle that you are just so sick of and you've prayed and you've longed and you've asked for God to change this in you and you've seen some growth at different points, but you're still struggling. You're still battling. Why? What is all of that for? Part of it at least Part of it at least exists to prepare you for your permanent home, eternity. Look if you still have the book of 2 Corinthians open to chapter four. Paul says this about the struggles and the pain we experience in this life. He says, for this light and momentary affliction. Hey, can I tell you that whatever struggle you're in right now is momentary? It may feel lifelong, it's momentary. This light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. If you are struggling in this life, God is saying to you this morning, my son, my daughter, this is not your permanent home. This is not your permanent home. And the struggles that you are facing right now are preparing you for an eternal weight of glory that is beyond human comparison. Beyond human comparison. And I think we could say this, if you're struggling, if you're suffering right now, it is those who have suffered most in this life that are most prepared to inherit the next. So don't lose heart. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You're on a camping trip and you will one day, sooner than we all think, be home. How do we also apply this to, though, not just to our individual lives, but to us corporately as a, as a church community or really any church, not, not just our own? I think a lot of us come to the church with high expectations because recognizing this, we look at Israel and their like temporary dwelling and the mess that it was, the idolatry, all of the disobedience and problems that they faced. And we think to ourselves, well, we have even clearer words from God in the New Testament. Not only do we have God's word, we have his spirit living within us that enables us to follow him, unlike the majority of the people that were in Israel. We have both the example and the sacrifice of Jesus to show us how we can walk in God's ways. Uh, We have the book of Acts, the early church, to show us how we're to to live uh, as a community together. We have many years of church history that we can look back on, of people who have endured in persecution, people who have done incredible things for the sake of the mission that we've been entrusted to. And so we can come into the church with great expectations. It's going to be incredible here. But I think we need to temper our expectations, recognizing that just like these bodies of ours are temporary, This body of ours, the church, it's also a temporary one. And if you hang around in the church long enough, you're gonna experience two things. Number one, you're gonna experience the hand of God in our midst. You're gonna see people saved. You're gonna see lives transformed. You're gonna see uh, the fruit of the spirit working in our midst. I mean, you are going to see God's hand at work in our midst. That's one thing you're gonna see. But the other thing that you're gonna experience is deep and frustrating disappointments. We expected the church to be here, but the way that it actually carries itself out is a long cry from that. And I think part of what God is doing through the struggles we face in the church is reminding us of two things. Through those incredible moments, he's here, he's working. But through those difficult, discouraging moments, church, 
This isn't it. This is temporary. We're not home yet. This is what the the theologians will call the already, but the not yet. We are God's people. We have been set free from Egypt, but we are still in the wilderness. We are not all the way home yet. So on the one hand in the church, you're gonna experience great things. You're gonna experience deep, disappointing things. And I think that this is just a helpful framework. Like maybe some of you are listening to the podcasts out there that describe the calamities and collapses that have happened in churches. Maybe you have pain and hurt from past church experiences. This couldn't be the case, but I'll just suggest it. Maybe you have pain and hurt from this present church experience that you're in. And I recognize that and we need to strive all the more to be the people that God has called us to, but even yet we're camping. We're we're in a temporary dwelling place. This is not the finished product yet. So again, zooming out, what, what do we learn in the wilderness? Number one, we learn to follow God's leadership under his word. We learn to trust him to meet our needs today. We learn, brothers and sisters, that we're not home yet, but then finally and briefly, we're not home yet, but praise be to God, we are not where we once were. We are not home yet. We're not in the promised land, but by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain, we're not in Egypt anymore either. Sometimes it can be so discouraging to look at your life and your relationship with Jesus where it is today. But what's helpful, one, is to look to Jesus in the midst of that and recognize that he's the one who perfects you. But it's also helpful to look back and say, man, I'm not where I wanna be, either as an individual or as the church, but I'm also not where I once was. I also am not where I once was. I have been set free from slavery to sin. I have been given a new identity. I've been adopted as a child of God through the finished work of Jesus on my behalf. And that's what we celebrate at communion. Communion this morning is gonna have just sort of a twofold purpose for us today. Uh, For one, man, it's a, a recognition and a celebration that we're not home yet, but we're not where we once were. The blood of Jesus has been poured out to free us and forgive us from our sins. We have become God's people together and the the elements of this table are a celebration of that. You are not where you once were. God has made you his and you're not home yet, but it's coming soon. So until that day, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus until he says he will eat this meal anew with us in, in his kingdom. He will eat down, he will sit down and eat with us in our permanent home someday soon. In the meantime, we treasure and celebrate and meet God through these elements, the body demonstrating that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life on our behalf. He gave that body over to be crucified on a cross for you. The cup symbolizes the blood of Christ that was poured out just like the the blood on the doorpost that caused the angel of death to pass over the people of Israel The blood of Jesus over your life says God's wrath has passed over you. You are not under judgment. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You are under grace. So you take those elements recognizing those. So for for some of us, it is a celebration that we have made our way out from this world. But for others of you, communion is not a celebration. Man, it is an invitation where some of us have made our way out, this time of communion is a invitation, a plea, a urge, find your way out. 
Find your way out from the ways of this world. Find your way out from slavery to sin. Find your way out from the the ways of this world in this life, which can only be done through the shed blood of Jesus. If we receive Christ, God's judgment against us passes over us and falls on Jesus. We are forgiven. If we reject Christ, God's judgment remains over us and we will suffer his wrath eternally for rejecting him as our God, number one, and rejecting the opportunity to be saved from our sins, number two. There is no more urgent of a matter in your life than this one. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with the offer of salvation that's given to you? We spend so much time thinking about this little brief life that we have and so little thought to what comes after the grave. But someone put it like this, and I think it's helpful for us to hear this. For the one who has received Christ, this world is the closest thing to hell you will ever experience. To the one who rejects Christ, this life is the closest thing to heaven you will ever experience. But the opportunity is yours today to come out from under God's wrath, to receive the sacrifice of Jesus that's been given for you. So let me just pray for us now as we either prepare for some of us to celebrate communion and celebrate that we have come out from under God's judgment and for others of you that that need to consider Have you come out from under God's judgment yourself? Are you prepared to stand before him? Are you prepared to cross from this life into the next one? Only Jesus, only what he's done for you can prepare you for that. So let's just take a moment, just silently reflect on that reality here and now as we get ready to to participate in this meal. Lord, we begin by worshiping you at your feet that you have gotten us out from this world. This is not our permanent home. This is a mere tent that we're dwelling in. And we rejoice in that reality. I pray that as we take these elements, man, it would just be an a ongoing Passover meal in our, in our lives where we recognize God's judgment for my sin has passed from me to the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, mine included. For those in this room that are not ready to take communion, They've not received that great sacrifice that you offer. Oh God, I pray for them now. I pray that you would prepare them for that day when they cross from this life into the next one. I pray that they would run to you like someone runs to a shelter with a deadly storm. I pray they would run to you for salvation because there is no other name under heaven by which a man can be saved than the name of Jesus. So here in this moment, even just pray, God, just pray with me even now. If you're in that place, God, I confess my sin to you. I don't deserve anything from you and yet you've given me everything. You've sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place so that your judgment might pass from me to him. Lord, I don't know that I understand all of it, but I receive it. I believe it. I accept it for myself and I treasure it. Lord, I turn away from sin. I turn away from uh, the ways of this world and I say that I want to follow Jesus with my remaining time here. Lord, would you now just continue to communicate these beautiful realities as we come to your table, as we sing these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.